electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. I think we might be approaching that very special moment that happens after a huge run. That moment where you say, what the heck am I doing? I just made a fortune and I haven't taken anything off the table. After a good day when the Dow gained 243 points, that's be 5.53% to a new all-time high, Nasdaq advanced 0.18%. I think we're pretty much there. And I am glad I am talking about this on an update. Because if I spouted these same lines after a big downturn, you would justify me be saying, thanks, Kramer, for nothing. Whenever we get these rarefied moments, you know what? It's time for a gut check. It means you need to do some trimming. Purely because your profits don't count until you ring the register. You don't make any money until you take it off. Right now, we don't even seem to know that we're being greedy. We're just so darn slap-happy, we forget Mrs. Kramer's first law. My late mom, who loved the ponies and the slots, had an ironclad ironclad rule. I mean, just boom. When you scored a big hit, you headed out of Caesars or the Liberty Bell racetrack as fast as you could, and you went and bought a beautiful cashmere sweater so you had something tangible to show for it. Let me ask you, have you bought your cashmere sweater yet? My chapel trust, I can't buy sweaters. We give away the winnings, $3 million worth. But I had a Mrs. Kramer experience these last two days. Trust-owned Caterpillar, great company. For a while we owed it. It had been a vicious tug of war between the bulls and the bears. Ages. There were so many short sellers and cats, so many analysts who did everything they could to knock it down. Knock down the stock with phantom worries and bogus concerns about inventory that it did become a totally beleaguering holding. 
But when the Fed pivoted back in November, when it said that it might have to cut rates, not in so many words, but that was certainly the intent, Caterpillar stock, well, it zoomed. It took off. It ran over the shorts like an 18-wheeler Peterbilt running over a squirrel at 80 miles an hour on the Jersey Turnpike. Cat roared higher. The 240s, the 250s, the 260s, the 270s, the 280s. And all I said was, here I come. 300. Get out of my way. And then yesterday it happened. Yesterday brought us DuPont. The classic industrial, the pre-announced week of the expected numbers with an even worse outlook for the current quarter. When I read the release, I said, oops, here comes the 10-point club. And, you know, I'm usually pretty good at assessing how bad the pain is when my trust owns a position. Bam! If you own the stock of DuPont, you did not go. You did not pass go. You did not collect $200. You lost 10 points. So we told members of the club at our monthly meeting yesterday it was time to ring the register on some cat. Just sell half of the stock at a very big gain. We downgraded it from a one to a two because we didn't want to repeat the DuPont experience and give up a gain not taken, even though DuPont and Cat really aren't together. It has to do with your mind. Hey, mind you, we knew nothing about how Caterpillar is actually doing. I can't, can't tell you. The company doesn't report to February 5th. We know that oil and gas, an important end market, hasn't been strong. We know that the biggest construction projects in the country are plants that export liquefied natural gas and anything fossil fuel related is dicey with Biden and the White House. Data center bills are still strong. That's terrific. Most important, we bought CAT for infrastructure orders from Washington, which it'll get. But the main reason we owned it was that we thought that the Fed might cut rates a whole bunch of times, and this stock would benefit mightily each time, even as in this particular quarter, it's been since 2017, since the stock has actually gone higher after they announced. I don't like those odds. We're starting to see numbers out of the economy, numbers that are so hot, like today's GDP north of 3%, that I now believe the report's hinting that the next step might be uh, tightening, not loosening. You're, you're actually hear something like that. Believe me, there'll be people say, hey, you know what? They made the wrong move. Yeah, I, I think perhaps the Fed did declare victory in the fight against inflation too early. At least they haven't started cutting, so they won't look bad. But you know what we did? We sold half our position in CAT. Now, today I came in and I saw the stock of you, man, I get crushed because the health insurer made a mockery of the consensus earnings estimates, and the forecast was truly hideous. In response, you, man, a stock lost $47, almost 12% of its value. It's a disaster of almost unfathomable proportions that makes the Tesla shortfall look like a slight miss. More on that later. I told Jeff Marks, my partner for the investing club, that we had to dump the rest of our CAT. Something new? He said, no. But we had just sold Humana last week, and I was saying that there, but the grace of God, we didn't get hit by that nasty 18-wheeler. So we took the huge gaining cat and bought the proverbial sweater. Of course, the stock jumped 3.5% today in response to some good orders from United Rentals, which uses equipment similar to cat. But we caught some of that gain on the go out. I got no way. I got nothing I'm ashamed about. Long term, I think it's the right call. Hey, by the way, you never get hurt taking a profit. We're seeing other signs of the whole thing being a little too much, aren't we? This morning, the new CEO of PayPal, Alex Chris, who moved up his stock from 58 to 65 on talk of shocking the, the street with new initiatives, shocking them. Well, he came out and said that it's, it's the age of AI, not unlike Aquarius, I'm starting to think, the age of AI to enhance the checkout experience. I figure, let's see, you mentioned AI. That's probably worth about five. And I shouted over. I said to Ben Stoto, hey, did he mention, did he mention NVIDIA Jensen Wong? That's worth eight. But Chris did not have a picture of him with Jensen. He didn't even have his digital twin. And his AI initiative might be used in ways that end up competing with Apple. So you know what happened? The stock went down. 
actually went down, even after mentioning AI. Can you imagine? Oh, no, I said to myself. No more cashmere sweaters for you, PayPal shareholders. To make matters worse, ServiceNow, which is the, an actual AI adopter in a big way, big enough that it could be making as many as a billion dollars from AI this year, So its stock soared this morning before giving up most of its gains by the end of the session. Now, ServiceNow is still a winner. It, 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 it's real. It's got proper AI. But it had run a great deal in the quarter, and it's up huge year over year. No wonder people rang the register. That makes sense. And it's not just stocks. By the way, we've seen Bitcoin double in anticipation of being wrapped up into an ETP. That's a cousin of ETFs that was supposed to bring in many, many new investors. Billions upon billions of dollars came in to run ahead of the suckers who bought, who would buy the ETP when it was launched. But you know what? Here's one that shocked me. A sucker isn't born every minute. The launch has been tepid, to say the least. In fact, there's been an actual outflow outflow of crypto ETP money for the past few days. Overall, less than a billion dollars of net new money has come in these new spot Bitcoin ETPs since they started trading two weeks ago when people thought there would be tens of billions of dollars coming in. You know, the entire market cap of Bitcoin was $487 billion on June 14th when BlackRock filed for their ETP. And then it rallied to $920 billion right before the spot ETP started trading as Bitcoiners all over the world ran ahead of all the suckers who are supposed to come in and take them out of the trade. Well, now Bitcoin's up huge, huge amount, and the expected boom is a bust. That means Bitcoin speculators are up huge, and the legendary Larry Williams, who predicted the exact top, is now saying that people are getting still one more chance to sell Bitcoin. But then it's all over but the shouting. Man, you know what? You can buy a lot of cashmere sweaters, a whole closet of them with that pricey Bitcoin. But the bottom line, as Wall Street increasingly realizes that it's time to ring the register, ka-ching, ka-ching, I'm begging you to take something off the table if you haven't done so already. It's the disciplined thing to do. I am not saying sell everything. I am not saying get out now. I am saying do a little schnitzeling, and you will regret it. Austin in Pennsylvania. Austin. Booyah, chill man. How are you? Chill man doing well because it's almost the weekend, and I've got nothing lined up. Oh, I hear you on that one. Uh, a relaxing weekend. Uh, yeah, so well, none of my teams the- are involved. Okay, I, although, I, you know, hail to the Chiefs, and I do like the general manager of the Ravens, who's a really good guy, and he watches the show. How are you doing? It? Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> good. Um, so my question's on this Pacific Northwest Regional Bank. It's been on my watch list for a while, but it had a very concerning uh, quarterly readout yesterday. Um, what are your thoughts on Columbia banking system moving forward? Wow. Um, what the heck happened there? That, that stock went down too much. It yields 7%. I don't like that. That's a very high yield. It makes me want to look deeper and deeper and deeper, and the Puget Sound region is doing quite well. I think this calls for more scrutiny. All right, as more people on Wall Street realize it's time to ring the register, I'm begging you to just take off a little for me. Just say, oh, it's Jim. He's telling me to go buy a sweater. I love TJX, but get a little more expensive sweater, okay? On Man Money Tonight, it's suddenly gotten complicated in the industrial space. But against the hazy backdrop for the industry, I'm focusing on one player in the space that stood out all week. I'll reveal the name just ahead. Then, with all eyes on AI, I'll reveal how two companies, ServiceNow and IBM, are really banking on the trend. Plus, could ResMed's recent earnings put investor concerns surrounding GOP-1 competition to bed? (laughs) I'm talking to the CEO. So stay with Kramer! Kramer! 
don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Have the industrials finally started to get a little wobbly? Something is supposed to happen if the Fed's relentlessly raising interest rates. On Tuesday, Texas Instruments reported ugly numbers and blamed increasing weakness across their industrial end markets, including auto. Yesterday, DuPont, the specialty chemical maker, talked about customer destocking within its industrial business, meaning there's too much inventory. Today, Dow, which is more of a commodity chemical play, reported soft numbers with its industrial intermediates and infrastructure business down 19% year over year. Although, as I told investing club members at our morning meeting, I do see some green shoots there. Things aren't looking too hot for the auto industry either, including Tesla. But against this hazy backdrop for manufacturing, guess what? There is one company that is doing absolutely great, and that company is PACCAR, P-A-C-C-A-R. Now, that's, you've seen them on the road. It's the maker of heavy-duty trucks. They're not, you know, it doesn't say PACCAR on them, but it does say Kenworth and Peterbilt and DAF. That's their nameplates. For nearly two years since the spring of 2022, we've been hearing about a freight recession as consumers started spending less on goods and more on services. Meanwhile, China's been weak, and that's PACCAR's second-largest market, although, according to facts, said it's only 7.5% of sales, way behind North America. And although interest rates have come down from their highest levels, they're still pretty darn high historically. So financing for PACCAR's big rigs can't be cheap. People don't buy them for cash. They buy them for debt. Despite those headwinds, 
Packard turned in very strong quarter on Tuesday morning. It really caught my eye. It sent the stock up 4% in a single session, allowing it to make new all-time highs this week. Highs. When I saw that, I immediately had to know. I mean, how the heck is Packard doing this well when so many other smokestack stocks are just struggling and rolling over and getting hurt? Now, look at this latest quarter. Packard's revenues grew 11% year over year, double digit, coming in much higher than expected. Core truck segment, the smaller parts segment, and the company's financial services arm, all beating revenue expectations. As impressive as the top line was, the earnings were even better. Packard had record earnings. and making $2.70 per share. Wall Street was only looking for $2.25. That was a 53% year-over-year. With that kind of growth, it's done wonder the stock's making new highs, even as people expected it normally at this point to be making new lows. These stellar fourth-quarter results completed a truly banner year for the company, with Packard finally passing pre-pandemic truck production uh, in 2023. At the same time, management was very smart about controlling costs. The company's pre-tax margin jumped from 14.1% in 2022 to 17.2% last year. That's a gigantic increase in gross margin. Geographically, Packard's growing everywhere around the world, with management specifically calling out Australia, Mexico. That's not the first time I've heard Mexico. This is maybe the season of Mexico. South America's pockets of strength. I'm hearing good things about Brazil. Brazil's sales were on fire. We didn't hear the word China on the conference call even once. But then again, why would anyone need to talk about China when there's so many other great growth markets now around the world and China's lagging so many countries? More importantly, Packer gave you some very encouraging commentary about the future. Keep in mind, the stocks rallied 48% last year, so expectations weren't exactly low coming into the quarter. If they only reported strong results but said, it said anything negative about 2024, I think the stock would have sold off. That's not what happened. Although there was some ambiguity here, Packard doesn't give explicit guidance for its own sales or earnings. It just offers comments about its expectations for the heavy-duty truck markets in the United States and Canada and Europe. They're expecting flat to slightly lower industry sales over here uh, and definitely lower sales across the Atlantic. At first glance, well, that doesn't sound too great, does it? By the way, Packard also said after delivering... 51,000 trucks in the fourth quarter of 2023 alone, they're aiming for 48,000 in the current quarter. In short, they're basically looking at a slight pullback in deliveries from record levels last year. Meanwhile, Packard's parts business should be up 3 to 5% this quarter. That's a good business. And up 4 to 8% for 2024. More generally, while management acknowledges that industry-wide truck sales will be worse this year, they also sounded pretty bullish whenever they were pressed for specifics about their own business. As CEO R. Preston Fate put it, and I quote, as far as the slowdown in orders, I'm not sure I can recognize that in our major North American markets, we see good orders, intake, and good visibility, end quote. More important, he noted that Packard's order book for the first quarter is effectively full. The second quarter is filling nicely. This is not supposed to happen, people. Basically, while the industry outlook is mixed, the company is still speaking very positively about its own business, and its parts business should still continue to grow in the mid-single digits this year. One analyst said that 2024 truck production downturn is, quote, well understood, end quote, at this point, and I think that's a good way to put it. In other words, people know that the industry sales are peaking, but it's simply not a deal breaker for investors looking to own the best of breed, and the best of breed is most certainly Packard. Why are they staying confident? Well, I got a theory. Packard is not just another play on trucks. It's an innovator. This is a point that often gets lost in the shuffle as we talk to, tend to talk about class eight trucks as commodities, but that's wrong. 
Not all heavy duty trucks are created equal. This is a company that plans to spend 460 to 500 million dollars in research and development this year. They're investing in technology and innovation projects, including next generation clean combustion engines, battery and hydrogen powered vehicles, electric powertrains, advanced driver assistance systems, and new connected vehicle services. Frankly, Packard's latest generation trucks are technological marvels, something that was apparent when the company presented its newest models at CES. That's the old Consumer Electronics Show earlier this month. Some of these American companies are doing amazing things. So maybe Packard continues to do well year after year because it makes darn good trucks that make life easier for truck drivers and fleet operators. You can't forget that. Finally, given that we're entering a softer year for the, for the industry, it's worth remembering that there's another reason investors stick with Packard. Simply put, the company's dependable. With its record 2023 results, Packard's now turned a, a profit for 86 consecutive years. And it's paid a dividend every year since 1941. You've probably never even heard of the darn thing. Packard's intentional push into the truck parts business, which is less cyclical, helps smooth, over their, uh, smooth out their overall results. And overall, the company's just a reliable outperformer. With these latest results, Packard's now beaten earnings expectations for nine consecutive quarters, with double-digit percentage beats in eight of those nine quarters. If you can't bet on that track record, what can you bet on? So here's the bottom line about this great American company. While we're starting to see areas of softness and worse in the industrials, and that's definitely true, the economy is definitively not rolling over. And there are companies that are truly shining, companies like Packard. This truck maker is still firing on all cylinders. And even though the heavy-duty truck space might top out this year, the stock's hitting new highs because Packard itself is so dependable. Innovation and dependability can shield a company from all but the worst of downturns. And money is back after the break. Coming up, Kramer flags an AI winner with room to run. Don't miss his take on this stock to watch next. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Coming to earnings season, you had to wonder if last year's AI winners could possibly live up to the hype. Many stocks soared in 2023 due to AI, but aside from a few exceptions like NVIDIA, most of those companies really weren't making any money off it. But last night we heard from not one but two companies that I've highlighted as AI winners, ServiceNow and IBM, and both of them delivered spectacular numbers against very high expectations, sending their stocks soaring today. Especially IBM, that went up 9.5%. I mean, that helped propel the Dow, of course. Although the stock of ServiceNow had run big into the quarter, so you didn't get the full accumulation of what you thought you would. So with so many AI pretenders, how did these two companies do it? What could these companies have said or done to make Wall Street feel even more bullish about the prospects when we know for the, the uh, PayPal example at the top of the show that there's growing ennui about what AI can really do for all companies? Let, let's take them one at a time. Starting with ServiceNow, the enterprise software company that helps businesses automate all sorts of, of IT and back office tasks, although it's doing more and more of that once it's in the enterprise. It was easy for them to move into AI because ServiceNow has been a leader in software automation all along. 
Around last spring, management increasingly started talking about artificial intelligence. Specifically, and for me, ServiceNow cemented its status as an AI winner when they announced a true partnership, not for show, with NVIDIA for workflow automation last May. And that is really paying off. Last night, Now, which is the symbol, reported a blowout fourth quarter. With better than expected revenues of 26% year year. In fact, this was the fourth straight quarter of what we call ARG, accelerating revenue growth, rarely seen. More important, this company now makes a ton of money, big money, with much higher than expected operating margins. It translated into a 32 cent earnings beat off of a $2.79 basis. Terrific free cash flow, too, up 32% year over year. I love that metric. Now, more importantly, some of the lines and items that tell you the most about ServiceNow's future, well, they looked even better than that. Specifically, there's this thing called. Re- I know it's so confusing, and I'm sorry about this. Remaining Performance Obligation, or RPO, okay, which is a measure of business that's been booked but not yet performed. And that grew 29% to $18 billion. That's nearly a billion dollars higher than what Wall Street was projecting. That's a big B. Finally, ServiceNow's forecast for both the current quarter and the full, full fiscal year were very, very strong. Now, I had a chance to speak with ServiceNow CEO Bill McDermott on Squawk on the Street this morning, where he explained that the company is now benefiting from the fact that it was a first mover in bringing what's known as large language models to its platform. ServiceNow has now seen tremendous customer interest ever since it brought in its AI-enhanced products to market, too. Listen to this. We've had this product on the market for just a little over a quarter, and it has outperformed every other product that we have ever brought to market. And, you know, what's happening out there is companies realize that they need an intelligent platform for end-to-end digital transformation. Yeah, see, there it is. I mean, they turned to Bill because he already has the product and because this is his area of expertise. In short, ServiceNow has real robust AI products on the market right now, and they are selling incredibly strongly. They have saved companies huge amounts of money and employee time by integrating AI into their clients' service calls, back office documentation, and even HR claim resolution, which I found fascinating. Oh, and the rest of the business is doing quite well, too. That's why the stocks push further into the all-time high territory today. And I've got to tell you, I think that this thing is definitely headed to 800 without a problem. As, and, and by the way, remember, I'm not that bullish on the market. It's just I'm, I am bullish in certain sectors. As for IBM, Wall Street's only recently come around the idea that Big Blue is an AI winner. And that includes yours truly. But just over, about a month ago, I ran a segment where I explained how IBM is participating in the AI wave. I told you they have a ton of products that fit into the artificial intelligence ecosystem from Red Hat software that helps developers make AI applications to data and analytics platforms that help customers make their digital info useful for the large language models that power generative AI. IBM even has an entirely new platform called Watson X, which allows clients to train, tune, validate, and deploy their own AI models. You have to train these models to get it right. Despite all this, I told you that the secret sauce to IBM's AI exposure is really their consulting business. Now that business can know that they can improve themselves with artificial intelligence, they need to bring in consultants to show them how to do it. They don't know how to do it themselves. IBMs have a huge edge when it comes to AI. I call it technological AI consulting at scale. Not a lot of companies have that. While I might have been late to the story, I'm glad I covered it because since then, the stock's rallied 19% in just over a month. 
More than half of that gain came today after IBM reported that spectacular quarter. Magic delivered better than expected sales, positive revenue growth in all four of their main segments, software, consulting, infrastructure, and financing. That's a real accomplishment for the historically growth-challenged IBM. Leading the way was the consulting business, up nearly 6%. Looks like our consulting thesis is playing out as expected. Credit where credit is due. The work of Ben Reitzis at Melius helped me tremendously to see the light here. IBM had, his pieces are just real good. I I wish I could pick them out of a lineup. What can I say? I read. IBM had big gross margin expansion, too. And in the end, they delivered an $0.08 earnings beat off of a $3.79 basis. That's 8% earnings growth year over year from a company that I would have expected maybe four. Oh, and they gave you a blowout free cash flow number of nearly 17% year over year. By the way, free cash flow is how people value this company. Now, IBM doesn't give extensive guidance, but management's commentary in 2024 was all positive. First, the company, quote, expects constant currency revenue growth consistent with its mid-single digits model, end quote, adding that foreign exchange is expected to be a one-point headwind revenue growth. So mid-single digit growth, while that might not look impressive next to the numbers from ServiceNow or any other growth tech stock, you've got to remember that IBM's graded on a curve. For years, this company couldn't grow at all. So trust me that mid-single-digit growth is enough to keep investors happier. Apart from that, IBM also guided for, and I quote, about $12 billion, end quote, in free cash flow in 2024, which was roughly a billion dollars higher than any of the analysts were looking for. House of pleasure. But it was the conference call commentary that sent the stock in the stratosphere. CEO Arvind Krishna had some very encouraging things to say about the AI business. Listen to this, quote, Every client I speak with is asking how to boost productivity with AI and how to manage their technology stack. He goes on to say, point out, quote, client demand for AI is accelerating and our book of business for Watson X and generative AI roughly doubled from the third quarter to the fourth quarter, end quote. That's 100% growth in three months. This is hundreds of millions of dollars, people. No wonder the stock caught fire today, but I think this move, again, is far from over. When I recommended IBM a month ago, I said that Accenture, ACN, the best of breed consulting firm, trades at a gigantic premium to IBM. And this stock can have tremendous gains simply by playing catch up, which I think it will. Right now, even after its gains over the past month, IBM sells for nearly 19 times this year's earnings estimates. Accenture sells for an outrageous 30 times this year's estimates. How about this? Come on, there's plenty of room to run as IBM gets multiple expansion. And yes, they got a 3.5% yield. A lot to like here. Here's the overall bottom line. Not every stock that roared on AI hype can be a true AI winner. This earnings season, they need to give you a real reason not to simply take profits and walk away. But last night, IBM and ServiceNow did just that. They're no longer theoretical winners from artificial intelligence. They're making a lot of money on it. Right. Bye, bye, bye. Now. Ben, not Ben Righteous. No, no, he, I think he lives in North. Ben in Arizona. Ben. Hi, Jim. How, uh, what's up, Ben? Thanks a lot for taking my call. Of course. I'm a first-time caller and a long-time listener. Thank you. I own uh, most of the Mag 7, and I'm looking for uh, more exposure to artificial intelligence, uh, specifically a smaller, younger company. Uh, my question is about a company with exposure to artificial intelligence software for robotics. The company is uh, UiPath, symbol P-A-T-H. I'm Thanks quite familiar them. with them. I'm quite familiar with them. Um, they've made the pivot. They've turned around. Uh, they're going to be making money. 
I like your call. I like to see Dan back on, the guy, the CEO. I, I like your call. It's Look, this, this company spent a lot of time in the wilderness, but it's really uh, it's shaped up. I think Ben, first time, long time, has a good call in UI path, and it's UI path, as we call it, and I like it very much, and I haven't for a very long time because they were losing so much money. All right, the bar has been raised this earnings season for companies promising to be AI winners. But last night we heard from two names that fit the bill, and we love what we heard from ServiceNow and IBM. Much more made money at, including ResMed stock is flying higher after earnings. I'm sitting down with the CEO to find out if the position in the stock could have you sleeping soundly. Then Tesla has been anything but magnificent in 2024. After last night's earnings, I'll tell you where I'm coming down on the company. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Listen to me, late last summer and early fall, there was this real nasty self in any healthcare play that might theoretically, that's the word I'm focusing theoretically be impacted by these new GLP-1 diabetes and weight loss drugs. Lately, though, we've begun to learn that some of these companies are actually being helped by the GLP-1s. Imagine. Take RestMed, one of my favorites. It's a medical device company that makes equipment for people who have sleep apnea or similar conditions. You put on their mask, get up the machine, and you get a good night's sleep, for heaven's sake. Because sleep apnea is highly correlated with obesity, RestMed stock plunged from 225 in early August to 135 at its lows in October under the, the crude theory that effective weight loss drugs would translate into fewer people with sleep apnea. But now we know that's not quite the case. Last night, RestMed reported a phenomenal top and bottom line beat. And on the conference call, management explained that people who've been prescribed GLP-1s and also have obstructive sleep apnea are 10% more likely to start using RestMed's equipment than those who don't take the drugs. In other words, the products seem to be positively complimentary. Of course, the stock roared in response, and while it's not quite back to its August highs, it's still substantially recovered. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more upside here, but please do not take it from me. Let's check in with the straight-shooting Mick Farrell. He's the chairman and CEO of RestMed to get a better read in the quarter. Mr. Farrell, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's great to be back on your show. It's been a year. I missed you with J.P. Morgan last month, but it's great to be here and be able to talk about the numbers I reported to the street yesterday. Yeah, I'm sorry that we missed each other because I've always enjoyed how rigorous you are, and I'm always surprised when people don't understand how good your equipment is versus this disease. Why don't you run uh, people through it? Because I'm sure there's some people right now who are skeptical saying, oh, give me a break. He's just trying to say it's complimentary. Yeah, well, look, I'll give you some uh, scientific data, Jim. As you know, I love the nerdy data, MIT guy and all that. And then I'll come back and talk with some objective views from a key opinion leader in the field. So the nerd scientist in me is looking at N equals 529,000 data points over T equals 24 months. And as you said in the intro there, 10% higher probability of a patient on a GLP-1, higher propensity, 10 absolute percentage points, higher to start positive airway pressure therapy. And then the skeptics will say, ah, yeah, but they're going to quit in 12 months or 24 months. No, the data show the exact opposite. At 12 months, there's a 300 basis points, 3% higher, not only adherence rate, but resupply rate. Uh, Not just I'm on the therapy, that I'm buying a new mask and accessories. And then they'll say, oh, I get worse over time. No, at two years, it goes up to a 500 basis points delta, 5% higher 
resupply rate for a patient on a GLP-1 and positive airway pressure therapy. So, you know, we were all wrong. Six months ago, some of the street was betting against us, 40% down, as he said, on the stock. I was saying, actually, those days, look, I think it's neutral. I'm not seeing any change in the patient flows. We were both wrong. It's actually upside, 10% higher start rate. It's going to take a while for these GLP-1s uh, to penetrate, but I think the combination therapy between the two is right. Last thing I'll say, key opinion leader, Professor Atul Malhotra, University of California, San Diego, one of the PIs on one of the drug studies on GLP-1s. He was asked uh, in, in a public forum, is sleep apnea treatment about A, weight loss, or B, CPAP treatment? And he said, it's always been A and B. It's been A and B for the 30 years I've been in this industry, and it'll be A and B the whole time. New weight loss drugs are complementary to CPAP, and we think the combination therapy of you know, good cardiovascular exercise, good diet nutrition, and good CPAP leads to good sleep health and good breathing. Now, do you think some of it's just awareness, awareness that there's a medicine that could help, awareness that there's a product that helps by people who have just got smarter about controlling their own health care? Yeah, look, it's a really good question, Jim. I think that these patients that are inspired to come into the healthcare system that may not have been there by these, these weight loss drugs, these GLP-1s, they say, well, look, I'm getting this pill that's going to make me feel better and look better and probably have some cardiovascular and diabetes improvements. And then, then they're in the healthcare system. They're with the doctor who says, actually, look, we're looking at you and we see a little bit of sleep apnea. Let's treat that. And the patient is more motivated and more engaged. Look, all I know is the correlation of the data. They start more and they stay on more. I don't know the causality, but I think we'll find that out over time. But I think that hypothesis that they're motivated, engaged, and they want to participate in treating all of their chronic diseases, their obesity, as well as their sleep apnea. Okay, let's just go over the, the actual quarter because the numbers were really extraordinary. It's almost as if that, that until the, this brouhaha with the GOP-1s, people didn't know how well you were really doing. I think people are just saying, wow, this company's making a lot of money. Well, look, Jim, you followed us for 15 years. I think I was first on your show seven years ago, live there and in person in New Jersey. And look, this isn't our first rodeo. You know, I've been at the company, I, I think, uh, 23 years this year. 24 years, I've been CEO for 10 years. We produce quarter in, quarter out because there are 1 billion people worldwide suffocating every night. And we have 23.5 million on 100% cloud connectable medical devices sending data to the cloud. We have 17 billion nights of medical data in the cloud from this. We're using generative AI and AI products to unlock value. But I can tell you, this is, you know, like mile one of a marathon in digital health for sleep apnea. And, uh, you know, we're really excited about the rest of the marathon. We have a little bit of a lead on the competition, but Jim, you know me competitive. It's a long race and uh, and we're doing well. No, you're very competitive as you should be because you got the superior product. I want people to understand uh, there are whole countries that don't even know about RestMed. I mean, I remember when I first looked into you, I was thinking uh, this is worldwide saturated. Isn't it kind of the opposite? I mean, people are just discovering RestMed. Yeah, look, I, I think in the, the whole field of sleep apnea, maybe 15 years ago, people would say, what is that? The Greek word apnea without breath. I say sleep suffocation, not just here talking with you on CNBC, but when I'm talking to people in an Uber ride or on a plane and people understand sleep suffocation. We're probably 15, maximum 20% penetrated into the market in the US, most penetrated market, maybe 10, 15% penetrated in most countries in Western Europe. We're less than 5% penetrated throughout all of Asia Pacific and the rest of the world. And, and Jim, our challenge is to help everyone who suffocates in all 140 countries that we operate. The generative AI product we just launched actually helps with that. And we launched it in Asia Pacific, and it looks at 
you know, I don't know what your health journey is like, but the healthcare system is pretty, pretty uh, inefficient and let's say not the best at taking care of the person as a consumer. What we want to do with our generative AI product is create a digital sleep concierge to help a patient, trialing in Asia Pacific, to help a person who has trouble with sleep and breathing find their path to, to screening, to diagnosis, to therapy, to prescription from a doctor and ongoing management. Uh, it's a billion person challenge and uh, I think technology from big tech is going to empower us and maybe big pharma and, and this trend of getting patients into the healthcare system, both of these are mega trends actually in our favor versus against us, as some were thinking maybe well, six months ago. If you were here right now, you know, I'm looking at someone who is a, a user, a, a very grateful user of RestMed, about three feet from me, and we always laugh because it really is. A, uh, I think it's a, it's a marriage saving as well as a life-saving product. And Mick, you, you're always great to have one. I really want to appreciate it. It's been way too long to see you. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time, Jim. Look forward to seeing you in person next time. All right, that's Mick Farley, chair and CEO of RestMed, who, by the way, in full disclosure, has helped me in some of my health care issues and was just a total champ at doing it. Didn't want anything other than try to help me uh, and was very valuable. Bad Money is back after the break. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time to go. I'm Chris Burns. All right. Hold on. It's hitting news. Talk to myself for a minute. Going to play this and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, come for the lightning round. Kramer says, let's start with Brendan in New Jersey. Brendan. Hey, Kramer. How's it going? How you doing, Brendan? Go I ahead. Hit know, me. Um, no, I've been following the uh, solar stocks, of course. You know, Tesla and Enphase. And uh, I wanted to ask you what your thoughts on were on uh, Solar Edge. No, 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 no. You know what? It can put what? It bounces four points and then it goes down again. This one, along with my friend Enphase, they're just too hard to own. Let me throw in Bloom Energy, not solar, not so good. And plug power? Grenade! Fire in the hole! Michael and Washington, Michael. Jim Booyah Kramer. You bet. Thanks what's what's shaking with you? What's happening? Hey, I'm calling about a biotech that I've taken a position in. Their CEO founded Seattle Genetics. Jim, what do you think about Immunome, ticker Oh, I-M-M. my God. That's where Dr. Clayson got left. That's where he went to. Oh, and gal, I got to look into him. Hey, Clay, my wife just drove a Lamborghini. Ha! David in Oklahoma, please, David. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My question is about BlackRock, which has been making some interesting moves here lately. Uh, what do you think? We're picking I think you up? buy it. Period. End of story. I thought that was an amazing quarter. That acquisition Larry Fink made it was really brilliant, and the stock should go much higher. I want to. I'm not done. I want. I, I want to go to Diane in Florida. Diane. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. Um, I, I would like to talk to you about a stock. Um, a couple of years ago, I found what I believe to be an unrecognized hidden hidden gem in the bio sector. And that would be Axum Therapeutics, symbol AXFM. Wow. I don't know it. And uh, it does central nervous system diseases, which are very, very hard. Uh, I'm working with a company just tonight about that. So I got to tell you, I have to do more work because so many companies have failed 
when it comes to central nervous system. More work to do. Michael in Georgia. Michael. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Michael. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. With pressure from activist investors at Barrington's Capital and the upcoming sell-off of the global champion brand, what do you think about the turnaround efforts at HBI, Haynes Brands? Let me check just one second. <laughs> Too early. <laughs> and that's the truth. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, and then there were six? Kramer explains how Tesla right now is all hat, no cattle. Next. Let's get something straight. After today's 25-point drubbing, Tesla is out of the Magnificent Seven. Done. Stick a fork in it. We all know it. People are just afraid to say it. Maybe they worry Elon Musk is something up his sleeve, or maybe they're just scared of the guy, or they just like saying Magnificent Seven all the time, although I bet most of the people have never even seen any of the three cinematic iterations. I do not have such trepidation, people. That's because in one earnings report and conference call, Tesla removed itself from this elite group by itself. I think it's a teachable moment about what qualifies the stock to be a member of the Magnificent Seven, which sadly is no more. Let's start with the need for growth. You have to have it. you got to have it to be magnificent. But what did Tesla say last night in its outlook? Quote, our vehicle volume growth rate may be notably lower than the growth rate achieved in 2023. End quote. You can't stay magnificent with a notably lower growth rate. That's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. And if you remember, the guy with the knife doesn't make it to the end of the movie. Second, a big reason why we adore the seven is that they have very little cyclicality. We don't want to hear about interest rates or stretched consumers or incentives and tougher monthly payments. But we heard Elon Musk talking about affordability, for heaven's sake. Listen to this, quote, we have lots of people who want to buy our car but simply cannot afford it, end quote. You're never going to hear that from any of the other Magnificent Seven. They aren't hostage to the broader economy like Tesla. In the old days, I always loved that Tesla didn't have to advertise. However, Musk now talks about digital campaigns, audience education. Sounds like selling cars to me. Third is leadership. No matter what, I always feel that the people running their respective companies are committed to the enterprise and committed to you, the the shareholders. They are all in. Musk, though, actually makes it clear that he's unhappy with the status within Tesla, and he might not take the company to the next level unless he has more control. He says he sees, quote, a path to creating an artificial intelligence robotics juggernaut of truly immense capability and power, end quote. But then Musk goes on to suggest that he has, quote, so little influence over the company at that stage that I could sort of be voted out by some sort of random shareholder advisory firm, end quote. He wants more voting power, maybe almost double the amount he already has, getting him uh, 25%, possibly via a dual class of stock, too. Oh, and how about this reassurance he, uh, he offers if he gets more stock, say, up to 25%? And again, I'm quoting, that's not so much that I can control the company, even if I go bonkers, end quote. Oh, thank heavens. You don't have a magnificent seven CEO who might go bonkers. And more important, what if he doesn't get his 25% voting power? Does he take his bat and his ball along with his artificial intelligence and robotics juggernaut and go home? You think that Yule Brenner or Steve McQueen would just stop championing the villagers and go to another gunfight if they didn't get more compensation? The guy's already the world's richest man. Stick around, pal. Get the job done. Finally, none of the seven has ever been at the mercy of foreign competitors. But now Musk concedes that Tesla's facing dangerous competition from the Chinese. Quote, frankly, 
he ponders. I think if there are no not trade barriers established, they will pretty much demolish most other car companies in the world, end quote. Musk does say that there could be a second wave of growth, maybe in 2025 with new products. He does have a terrific robotics element. And as he says, quote, if we execute very well, I think Tesla could be the most valuable company in the world, end quote. Sure, terrific. But a dozen other companies can say the same thing. I want the ones that can do it, not talk about it. Right now, the world's richest man is all hat, no cattle. As someone who is among the first to vocalize the Magnificent Seven rubric, I officially acknowledge now that there are only six left. A super six-pack. As for Tesla, time to move on. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. Are you struggling to lower your bad LDL cholesterol, even though you may be taking a statin, swapping steaks for salads, and exercising while listening to this podcast? Ask your doctor if Repatha Evolocumab is right for you. With Repatha, you can dramatically reduce bad cholesterol and the risk of another heart attack while enjoying life too, because you're human. And with convenient self-administration, you can take Repatha in the comfort of your own home. Do not take Repatha if you're allergic to it. Repatha can cause serious allergic reactions. Signs include trouble breathing or swallowing, or swelling of the face. Most common side effects include runny nose, sore throat, common cold symptoms, flu or flu-like symptoms, back pain, high blood sugar and redness, pain, or bruising at the injection site. Visit Repatha.com or call 1-844-REPATHA. Talk to your doctor today about Repatha.